0: So Money episode eleven fifty four entrepreneur Tina Wells author of the Z Files. You're listening to So Money with award winning money guru Farnoosh Torabi. Each day get a thirty minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money.
1: First semester of my freshman year of college, where a woman called me, I'll never forget, in my dorm room, uh, and she said, I'm going to tell you something really important, you know, I just paid someone $25,000 for market research and what you and your friends did was 10 times better. You have a business, it's called market research, and you need to go figure it out.
0: Welcome to So Money, everybody. Monday, February 1st, 2021, a new month. It's my birthday month, two weeks till my birthday. In fact, shout out to all my Aquarius girlfriends and boyfriends out there. It is also Black History Month, and we will be showcasing a number of incredibly talented Black entrepreneurs, authors, visionaries, luminaries throughout this month. Kicking us off is Tina Wells, someone that I've been wanting to get on this podcast for years. She is somebody who took an idea During her teenage years, a business idea that she then took to become a 20-year-long business, a media company called Buzz Marketing Group. She's no longer doing Buzz Marketing Group. She's pivoted in her early 40s to launching a publishing empire and a partnership with Target. So coming up, we're going to hear all about that journey, the advice that she got along the way, and the hard decisions that she's had to make over her career and personal life to launch this next chapter in her career. Ahead of our conversation, just a couple of notes. One, if you haven't listened to Friday's episode of Ask Farnoosh, check it out. If you're interested in what's going on with GameStop and the drama around that, you've probably been looking at the headlines. Maybe you're not so sure what's going on. I have to be honest, when it first all erupted, I was not interested. I was like, oh, like this is such noise. We have so many more important things to be worried about in the world. But the story kept going on and it's unraveling and it's interesting. It really is. I think it's important for all of us to at least know the basics. So I dedicated an entire episode to breaking it down and brought in a expert, uh, Dr. Hans Boiteng who's been on the show before. He's the investing tutor. He's always fun and he did a very great job of simplifying this complex story for us and describing both sides of the story and and you know I walked away really understanding why it happened and kind of rooting for the little guy. You know, Wall Street, not so much. Also if you're looking for some cool podcasts to subscribe to, I've got a few to recommend. These are our graduates from our Pace a podcast program from last summer who launched their shows under an intensive incubator program. In eight weeks they got their shows up and running and I want to give a shout out to a few of them Uh, while I've got your attention. The first is Boss It Podcast, hosted by Sophia Noreen Syed. It provides tangible advice for women entrepreneurs in areas of business, health, and self-help. Boss It Podcast. Next is Call It In with Dar, hosted by Darla McCann. This is a podcast for women seeking more depth and meaning in their lives. Each week, the episodes provide practical, actionable steps in mindset, soul set, and heart set living. And if you're a busy mom who just wants an escape, a nice podcast that's going to maybe get you to laugh because if you don't laugh, you'll cry. Brooke Voris hosts Cheers to You. It's a podcast where Brooke, a wedding planner, laughs her way through being a business owner, mama for, four, devoted wife, and a self-described perfectionist. The podcast covers everything from working remotely with kids, meeting tight deadlines in between household chores, discovering the tipping point from going full-time corporate employee to full-time mompreneur. That's Cheers to You. And there's Clued Up with Maria B., the the behind-the-scenes photography podcast. If you're looking to take on photography in the new year, Clued Up gives photographers of all levels an inside view of the many facets and multiple layers that happen behind the scenes to produce quality images. Clued Up puts the photographer at the center of this process and focuses on the necessities of a quality photo shoot experience for both client and the photographer. Clued Up with Maria B. All right. Without further ado, our first guest of February, Tina Wells, business strategist, advisor, author, and founder of Relevant Media, a multimedia content venture serving entrepreneurs, tweens, and culturists. Tina has been recognized by Fast Company's 100 Most Creative People in Business, Essence's 40 Under 40, and more. And as I mentioned, for 20 years, she led Buzz Marketing Group, an agency that she started at age 16, with clients including Dell, the Oprah Winfrey Network, Apple, Johnson & Johnson, and American Eagle. She's the author of seven books, including the best-selling tween fiction series, Mackenzie Blue, and its 2020 spin-off series, The Z-Files. Here's Tina Wells. Tina Wells, welcome to So Money, finally. All these years, I've wanted to have you on the show, and now our stars have aligned. Yes, finally. I am so excited to be here. Thank you, Farnoosh. I'm I'm thrilled. As you said before we gave we went live, that sometimes timing is important. And had we spoken two years ago, we would have had a completely different conversation than the one we're about to have because you've recently made a huge pivot in your career. Before we get to the pivot though, let's give our listeners The backstory, which in and of itself is is a podcast, you know, I I, we could have had a a ton to talk about two years ago. Now we have more to talk about now with your recent venture with Target. But let's talk about when you were 16 years old, coming up with an idea. I, I like to think that it's because you had the intuition to know that millennials were a force to be reckoned with, and you started a business in your teens that then blossomed into a full blown. Company that you ran for twenty years. So, tell me about that journey. Tell me about when you were sixteen and the beginnings of Buzz Marketing Group.
1: Yes. So, first of all, I was an accidental entrepreneur. Um, So, let me set the stage. You know, I'm born in 1980, and 1995, I was like the rest of the girls in America, obsessed with Clueless, obsessed with pop culture. And I had read an ad in the back of Seventeen magazine. Um, there, there was a newspaper for girls looking for writers called the New Girl Times. And I wrote a sample column on my, you know, brother word processor. My mom faxed it in for me from work, and I got a call. That they wanted to hire me as a product review editor. And I was super excited. I had no clue what that meant. And so, (laughs) what it meant was that I got to try really cool products for free. And I would send clips back to the companies I wrote about. And they'd always say the same thing. You know, "I I like what you have to say. If I send you more stuff, will you keep telling me what you think? And so, at 16, you know, I'm like, I have the dream gig, right? I have tons of companies sending me product. And at this moment, it had not yet occurred to me that anyone would pay me for this. And so um, I used the kind of air quotes of clients for the first few years. You know, I had clients, but I would get friends together, we'd fill out surveys, and then I would send these results back. And it was really the first semester of my freshman year of college where a woman called me, I'll never forget, in my dorm room. Uh, and she said, I'm going to tell you something really important. You know. I just paid someone $25,000 for market research. And what you and your friends did was 10 times better. You have a business, it's called market research, and you need to go figure it out. And of course, as luck would allow, I was taking an intro to business class with the head of the department. Um, I went to Hood College in Frederick, Maryland. When I went, it was an all women's college. And so... um, I, you know, went to see my professor during office hours. I told her what I'd been up to and she said, "I want you to take an independent study with me and and we're going to make this a business." And so I was super fortunate to have that experience. We did and literally that business plan that I built, you know, in my dorm room with my professor was really the blueprint for my agency for over 20 years. And so I had a lot of really cool moments along the way, you know, my my network which I was most known for um, again, it was a two sentence blurb in Cosmo Girl and one of the launch issues that got me fifteen thousand applications from teenagers all over the world who wanted to be buzz spotters, and that launched the research network, and then influencer, and then you know three hundred and fifty brands later, and twenty years later, I was the millennial whisperer, and so it was an absolutely amazing journey and a fun ride. But but I often say, you know, the first twenty years of my career were pretty. Accidental. And, and now I'm really, really focused on how I can live very intentionally and, and kind of do great work, but have a
0: really intentional focus now. That woman who called you in 1998 or whenever it was, we're the same age. So I'm imagining I didn't get any phone calls like that in my dorm room at Penn State. I wish I had. <laughs> Have you followed up with her since? Or I mean, did she become a part of your growth at that point? No, yeah, it was just one of those like, hey, you need to know
1: this night. So many women like that. You know, um, Jane Warwin, the founder of Dermalogica, was actually one of my first paying clients. And I saw Jane a couple of years ago and I said, like, I was 18. What were you doing? And she was like, oh, I just knew you were going to be something great. And so why not? And I'm like, that's just who who Jane is, right? Like a champion for female entrepreneurs, you know, philosophy was an early client of mine. And and really, you know, my first check came from Neil Cole, who's the founder of Bongo and Candies and Iconics Group from his head of PR, who was just like, I like what you're doing. I'm just going to get you the money for this. And so I think that there were so many women like that throughout my very, you know, early years of my career who were just like, I like what you're doing and I need to figure out how to help you. And so, you know, it's a huge part of what I try to do today and, and pay that forward. But I was, you know, there are numerous women, you know, Miriam Hipsch, uh, you know, who was the founder of the New Girl Times, who gave me and so many other young women our start as journalists, you know, as teenage journalists. And so there there's so many women who, were just incredible and helpful at that stage in my career.
0: Well, as the millennial whisperer and you're a millennial you, ourselves, we're millennials technically, right? I mean, I guess it depends on yeah. what, um, what Wikipedia page you're reading, but I, I, I'm, I like to think that I'm on the cusp. I'm, I'm an elder sure. millennial. millennials because we're not Gen Xers. If you're born between, Where are we?
1: if you're born between 1980 and 1983, you're technically a Zennial. And so Ooh. about it, I do find parts of my personality are a little Gen Xy, and parts are a little, you know, more millennial. I don't feel like completely, you know, millennial.
0: Me either, because I think I very much still ha- live like the cookie cutter life. Like I did everything my parents <laughs> told me to. Like I have a house, I have two kids, I have two car garage. You know, um, I live yeah. in the suburbs. Agreed. Check, check, check for me too. Check, check, check. Zenial definitely sounds cooler than elder millennial. I feel (laughs) like I have a a staff and a long white beard. (laughs) So as someone who is so knowledgeable and has worked intimately with this cohort, this generation, what do you think about the way that the generation typically gets characterized? And understanding too that There are people like us potentially within the generation. And then there's people that are, you know, 10 years younger than us on a different spectrum. But, you know, we often hear that millennials are entitled. They don't want to work hard. They're emotional. Like in, in the context of work, they got constantly need feedback. They need hand holding. How do you see it?
1: Yeah, I I remember once a client said that to me, kind of like these millennials. And I said, well, first of all, one thing you should remember is that you have raised a millennial. And so your millennial is somebody else's challenge, right? And so if you think about the participation trophies and all of these things, who raised them, you know, to be that way is the first thing I said. And then the other thing I often you know, try to set the stage and talk about is, you know, remember back to 2008. So imagine this generation, you know, leaving college, everything that was kind of promised to them, right? The American dream didn't exist. There were no jobs. You know, we were in an economic crisis. And, and I think about all the amazing things that millennials created, right? Like they really had to overcome so many things. And some of the best companies that we all enjoy came out of that time, right? New services. So Uber, you know, Airbnb, all of these businesses that have like trans completely transformed how we work and play came out of that time period, you know? And so, yes, every generation is going to be different. You know, right now I'm spending a lot of time learning about Gen Z. I write for Gen Z girls. And so you know, I think every generation has their thing. And and I do think that Gen Z reminds me more of teenagers from the 90s, you know, but what I love about millennials is that like spirit of overcoming, right? They were able to really take like the worst lemons and make the best lemonade and kind of get us back on track. And yes, there's, you know, they want feedback. They want these different things. Um, but the good and all of the amazing companies and ideas and things that have come because of millennials, I think that the good way outweighs any any negative perception of them. And I also, you know, at one point, I feel like many of us in this business did a disservice because it was like, you know, as a researcher, I remember when someone was like millennials like me. And I remember thinking, that's so strange to me because like, I would say millennials or Gen Z or like, I talk about it as like research terms, but not something that's like colloquial or common at all, you know? And so... It was like, where did we, I don't know if it was because we wanted to know so much about millennials or because it was such a drastic change from Gen X. I just felt like it became way more conversational than it normally would have been. And then also, I think as marketers, we were like, if you don't know Gen Gen X or sorry, millennials, Gen Y, you're going to lose your business. So I think we also created a lot of fear that like, if you don't hire us to tell you what to do, you're not going to know these 80 million people. And, And so I think there was a little bit of a fatigue around the idea
0: of millennials too,
1: you know? Mm-hmm.
0: For sure. And so, and you have moved on a little bit with your focus now on Gen Z and going back in time a little bit, kind of alluding to what I was talking about at the beginning of the episode, your pivot, about 13 years ago, you published a series of books for Gen Z. You began your publishing career, I should say, for for Gen Z, a series of tween girl books, right? Yeah. Yeah. And this was in addition to, it's like your side hustle, right? (laughs) Like in addition to the business you were running, which who has the time, but you found the time. And this ended up planting an incredible seed for you, perhaps even unknowingly at the time, but now looking back, such a great move. Tell us about this Aspect of your journey. So, take us back to 13 years ago. What that heroic thing that you did that Publishers Weekly even wrote about that is now paying off in dividends for you?
1: Yeah. So, again, just like I was an accidental entrepreneur, I was an accidental, you know, middle grade fiction writer as well. Um, my my degree is in journalism, and so my dream was to be a fashion writer. You know, that was what I wanted to do with my life. Um, and researcher was like not it, and then. Uh, you know, I obviously fell into my career. I really loved the work that I was doing. I was running an office in New York, and, and this was 2007. Um, I so I had you know my millennial kind of youth marketing agency, and the other massive agency was Alloy. And so Alloy, um, you know, got it started as media marketing. But then most people will know critical successes. Well, first it started with like the, I believe Roswell and then sisterhood of the traveling pants and most famously gossip girl. And so I had b- been hired by St. Martin's Press to do some marketing for a book that alloy had just sold and you know during that process they said you do something similar you know a lot about this generation you should write a book. And and to your earlier point I was like, "Oh, I have no time to write a book." Right? Like I have absolutely no time. And and then kind of later on the campaign they're like, "Really? you should do something. And so I had the only time off at that point in my life I had was the two weeks between Christmas and New Year's. And I I took some time and wrote a concept and then I started sending it to friends who I trusted. And I was like, do you think there's any there there? And, and the feedback I kept getting was, yeah, there definitely is. And, you know, I, I was doing a focus group for a big CPG brand, one of the biggest in the world. And we were trying to, it was the first time we were talking about what a tween was, right? This word tween adjust, you know, become a thing in 2007. And a mom pulled me aside during a focus group and said, you seem to know about these things. My daughter is 10 and she's reading gossip girl books. What should I do? And so I'm like, okay, the publisher is asking me to write something. You know, I'm a marketer. This mom is talking to me about, you know, she wants her daughter to read, but is Gossip Girl the right thing? And so I thought, can I write about a girl who is like coming of age and can I make her a good girl? But will she be interesting? You know, if she's not being mean and gossiping all the time and doing those things, can this girl be interesting? And that became, you know, the Mackenzie Blue series, which was you know a best selling tween series but yes the deal as you alluded to that I was able to do was incredibly it was actually written as the most unique deal in children's publishing um and it was really important to me to kind of own all of my IP and own all of those assets so that I could then
0: um develop as I saw fit over you know the next several years how did you convince is harper collins mm-hmm. to own your IP if this was in some ways unprecedented what was your negotiation like?
1: Uh, my very, very, very brilliant lawyer, who is still my brilliant uh, entertainment attorney, Andre Um And Andre, you know, we, we talked about, I, I think first, I have to be honest and say I was a, a business owner who was the expert in this space coming to do this deal. Right. And so um, there was definitely some cachet to that but I think Andre and his brilliance and how he started to think about he was thinking about what I might want to do with this property in 10 to 15 years in a way I totally wasn't you know my business was like an 18 month cycle at that point you know how do we you know do those kind of things I would I would never have thought that I'd be 40 years old and doing a spin off to that series you know and so um you know his brilliance and and, and really thinking through what what my long term plan might look like is is why I'm able to do what I'm doing with the brand today, but it took a long time. That's one thing I'll say, you know, for anyone who's looking at a pub deal, I don't know if you've experienced this yourself. It, it's like a very slow process, right? It, it's not anything that moves really quickly. And and you can imagine this process was a lot slower because of what we were asking for.
0: Wow. Do you think they're kicking themselves now? Yeah. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> I'm just going to leave that at a no comment. <laughs> no comment. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant who taught you that you had to keep your IP? You've gotten some incredible business advice over the years. You're kind of blessed in that way.
1: Yeah, and I think what I've always, you know, I I know that like when I go into the room, especially at that stage in my life, it was because I knew this one thing better than anyone, right? Like I was really focused on I, am not the boomer expert. I'm not, I, I know this thing better, you know, and I've spent all my time and invested all those hours in knowing this thing. And if I did that, and if people called me for that, then I had to trust that I was, you know, working with the very best people and entrusting that they were that person. You know, if you weren't, I, I definitely, um, Um, You know, good to great is like the book I live by. Right. So don't be ruthless, but be rigorous. Like if you're not the right person on the bus, you're definitely not going to be on the bus. But if you are, I'm going to trust you and trust that that, you know, the advice you're giving me is what I should do.
0: You grew up well, partially in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which is where my husband is from, and then your family moved to New Jersey. Talk to me about a little bit about your your childhood, a little bit. How did you learn about money? And I know you had that sort of entrepreneurial drive. Maybe you didn't even, you wouldn't call it that uh, then, but you did at, at a young age. Just curious, what your environment was in terms of teaching you about money and work.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. You ever do those exercises? I don't know if this was a book or, or a course or something I was doing. It's like, go back and, and 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 remember your first vision of money. And you know what came to me? And I'll never forget it. I remember being like three years old and once a week, I think my mom reminded me it was Mondays. The, you know, Our farmer would come to the house and say, this is what I have for the week. This is fresh stuff. And I just had this sense from a very young age that like, Abundance was everywhere, you know. Like I was very lucky, and I lived in this beautiful place, and we had what we needed. And so I just grew up, you know. I'm the oldest of six, Um, and when I was about six, I think we moved from um, Lancaster to New Jersey, where my mom's family is is based. And so my father's an only child. My mother is one of fourteen, and so um, I have over a hundred cousins on my mom's side. So I grew up in just this like. I, and my mom's also the twelfth out of fourteen. So imagine having so many older cousins. You know, I grew up feeling very protected, very loved. Um, definitely the oldest of six. So not, you know, my parents invested in our education. I, I loved fashion and pop culture. I was not going to get every newest thing. So, so the company was also a, an amazing gig to get me the things I wanted. <laughs> but you know, I didn't really grow up feeling a sense of lack. You know, I felt that I had to work hard that I could create. But I also think because I started so young, a lot of things now that at 40, I being completely honest, I could never take the risk to do in my mind, um, weren't really risks at that time. You know, it's like, it's fine. Like, I mean, I'm running a business from my dorm room and then I moved home after college. And so I, I always felt like, okay, I, I have a little bit of a safe place to land if this doesn't work out, you know? And so I, I've been more on the risk side in my career, because I'm like, well, then I'll just have to figure out a way to make more. You know, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. There seems to have always been that that support system, which which we maybe we take for granted when we're young, but it is for all a lot of us like the thing that keeps us okay with taking on risks and pushing ourselves a little bit harder and harder. It's so true. So, tell us about your tween line, the Z files with Target? What's it like working with Target?
1: I, honestly, they are a dream partner. And I, you know, I didn't know what to expect. And I, you know, this was only a year ago, I had the first meeting to say, this is my vision. And so um, when I decided to leave my agency, what I realized was like, I had done all the things I wanted to do, even you know being so fortunate to produce the Super Soul 100 for Oprah Winfrey Network. I'm like, I've kind of done everything I want to do in the agency world. What was really important for me um, and is important for me right now is representation um, in media and in content. And I thought, you know, I was a girl who read a book a day over the summer. I just loved to read for fun. And, you know... There, there's such a lack of diversity in middle grade fiction. You know, less than 10% of protagonists are, are girls of color, black girls. And so, you know, I thought, what can I do from a content perspective? First of all, it's a creative outlet and I love it. But if we were going to reimagine Mackenzie Blue, what, what would I do to make her a little bit different or be a little bit more explicit about her? And, you know, I was able to do that. And Target really gave me... Um, you know, the ability to create and carve out this unique world and unique space. And, you know, it's funny, it's like, how involved were they really like the cover? Like, literally, I, I feel like the only comment I've gotten was like, we need to make sure the cover is going to pop off of the shelves, you know? And <laughs> along the way, I'm like, do you want to read a couple chapters? Do you want to see what we're working on? And they, they've just been completely supportive. You know, they, they, you know, worked with me to find a really creative solution to get these four books out. Um, so I'm I'm working very lucky to be working with Ingram and, and their um, traditional publishing imprint called West Margin Press to put these four books out. So there are four books in the Z Files series, um, and then I also sold another series to Penguin Random House that's going to debut next fall. I'm um, called Honest June, and it's about a girl who can't tell a lie, and you know, it's an all black cast, which is incredibly rare in middle grade fiction, and and beyond you know rare for not being historical fiction. And so, um, you know, I've just been really fortunate to spend this year creating these really amazing characters.
0: And the world that these characters live in, you can create too. Like there's a world outside of books potentially too, right? Oh yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, And that's, you know,
1: that's where you have to be patient and build the audience and build, but I have so many things (laughs) that I'm, that I am looking forward to bringing, you know, this audience. And, you know, I just, I love tween girls. I love that moment. I think if we think back to our lives being tween girls, I don't know about you, but I was like reading babysitter's clubs and everything I could get my hands, Sweet Valley Twins, Sweet Valley High. And, and they're, Those ideas of those girls were so important to who I thought I could become, you know. And so, you know, beyond the books, I think the opportunity to create merchandise and create lines and brands that speak to girls is is what's really exciting for me.
0: So, what happened to your company? Did you sell it? Did you divest? What happened? And and how? And that must have been a really hard decision in some ways. It
1: was, you know, I spent 2019 grieving it. I knew in the beginning you know, I came to terms with like, my heart is not in this anymore. And it really was a year process of grieving. But what I I started to do the math and I thought, okay, um, I can double down, I can grow this agency to hundreds of people. And then what? I'm going to sell it to whom? You know, I I remember looking at a few of the holding companies, the big companies that, you know, potentially buy up agencies, and they were starting to lose some of their value. And I'm like, okay, if if my end solution is I'm going to sell to this company, but, but, you know, they just posted it at a 10% loss. You're, I'm like, that that maybe isn't the right exit strategy. And then if that is the exit strategy, that means I've got to go there for five years, right? And so do I want to do this for five more years? And, and I, at the time, was doing my Henry Crown Fellowship at the Aspen Institute, and they tell you going in, you know, this is for people at inflection points and your life might change a lot. And and I was like, no, my life's not going to change. Like I've got my gig I've, and, and it's hilarious. Like my life is completely different, <laughs> you know, following that experience. But I just realized that I wanted something different. So first I, I took a sabbatical and then I, rem- you know, one of my first trips was to Yellowstone. And I just remember like sitting in Yellowstone, we were spending time like tracking, looking at like, bison and tracking a a, a grizzly bear or something. And I thought, I don't want to go back to my agency. And I just knew, I was like, that's done. And then I thought, okay, so what do I do with the amazing people I work with? And I had launched a platform for women of color called Elevation Tribe about a year prior. And the focus of that platform is to help women of color launch, grow, and lead companies. And I thought, okay, well, my team can definitely work on that. And maybe we work on my brand's And I just sold Mackenzie Blue to Audible and I thought, okay, like there's a new opportunity here for me with content and maybe, you know, that's what I need to do. And and so earlier this summer, I launched Relevant Media. Which is really focused on—it's um, focused on creating content for entrepreneurs, content for tweens, and then the third category I call culturists, which will allow me to do some of the influencer stuff I've been doing. But you know, I, I decided like content is what I really love. Content is where I feel like I can make a, a bigger difference. I think that there are you know other people in the agency game who are just so passionate about it and are doing amazing work. And then I just kind of stripped some of the assets, like our influencer network of 40,000
0: people and moved it over to relevant media. And all in a pandemic, (laughs) not all in a pandemic, but you got, you were very busy in these weird months and what will probably be another year of weirdness. Yeah. Well, it was, but
1: I was saying to a friend, they're like, wow, your 2020 has been amazing. I said, "Yeah, yeah, my 2019 really sucked, like really, really, really bad. You know, I'm like, I was grieving this business. I was doing this very privately. I was going through all of this. And then, you know, by the time we got to spring and realized we'd have this amazing opportunity if we could get this book written in eight weeks to debut for this holiday season, you know, all I'd been through all the bad stuff and and started the setup. And so, you know, I was lucky, but 2019 did not feel lucky. So (laughs) I didn't feel great at all.
0: Who do you turn to for advice? Who do you turn to when you're trying to decide between, you know, the, in this case, that when you're at this kind of a crossroads, like who, who do you call?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I have, a lot of times I talk about the fact that when you've got these really tough decisions to make, you know, I often talk to less than five people, right? Because a lot of times people will start to give you advice based on, you know, their life experience. And so, um, you know, it's not often I talk to people in my industry. Um, I have some friends who have been dear friends of mine for, you know, 20 plus years, people who know me the best. And, you know, so I talked to a few of them, you know, there are a few of them who were in the loop about what was going on. And, you know, my best friend who's been my best friend, Missy, we've been best friends since we were 10 and 11 years old. I remember it was like, I always thought that I was like, The strong friend, you know, the responsible friend. And Missy was the friend that like always made sure we had fun. Right. And I remember we went to eat one day and this was like when I knew I was closing and I just sat down and I just started crying, which is not my thing at all. And and she's like, Oh my gosh, what is happening? What is happening? Talk to me. And I, I, I remember she said something to me and she said, Tina, you know, sometimes it's okay to just stay down. You don't have to get up for anybody right now. And you don't owe any of us any explanation about why you don't want to do this anymore. And it was just like, so freeing, you know, to get that advice, like, you need to stay down for a minute, stay down. And nobody, you don't have to justify this to anyone. And it was really, you know, cause then we think, oh, I have to have a story and why am I doing this? And so, you know, it wasn't a business friend. It wasn't a coach. It was like the person who knew me the best
0: and just loved me as her friend who gave me the best advice at that stage, you know? Wow, that's a good friend. And that's such a good reminder that a lot of us can probably relate to feeling like we have to explain ourselves all the time. And sometimes you just don't want to do things, and that's that's it. Period. Next.
1: Yeah. And 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 sometimes there's the guilt of thinking that you've been so lucky to do things and shouldn't you keep going and, you know, for me it was like, okay, I just don't want to do this thing anymore. And the people closest to me are really giving me permission to do that. And then, you know, I went through like an unloading spree last fall. You know, I'd been working at Wharton running a program. I was the academic director of a program called Leadership in the Business World. And, you know, for five years, I just loved those summers with my students, you know, and I taught over a thousand students. But then I realized last fall, you know, it was the moment for me to kind of step away from that, and so there are a lot of things where I was like, okay, some board work. I've got to step away from that, and and now looking a year later, I'm like, had I not done that, I wouldn't have had time to, you know, write three books in a year.
0: You know, commit to
1: seven, there would have been no space for that.
0: Hmm. I'm reading this article that profiled you on PhillyMag.com, which, by the way, my best friend is now the new editor in chief of Philly Mag, Kate Daly. Everybody, subscribe to Philly Mag. Yeah. Yes. Wow. So exciting. Okay. Um, I, I, I'm i trying to pick this apart and see what I want to expand upon in this podcast with you. You gave so many interesting answers to these questions. I'm going to st- I'm going to I'm going to highlight this. So you have your eye on now. This wasn't 2018, but you said you have your eye on Yara Shahidi. And I'm obsessed with her as well, because I'm Iranian. She's Persian and Iranian as well. And I somehow tagged her on Instagram and she responded to me. I was like, whoa. <laughs> I just screamed. I screamed a little bit in my house. My kids had no idea what was going on with their mom. But I I'm obsessed with her. What do you think? She's kind of um the full package right now. She's beyond. I was really lucky
1: to um, go to a super soul conversation when she was in conversation with Oprah, and Oprah was even just like speechless with her, you know? She's she's what? so
0: brilliant. In this same article, you also talk about how you want to still hone on this idea of harmony, balance in your life. And this was in 2018, right before your worst year ever. Um, Do you feel like you have gotten warmer to that or closer to that idea of balance in your life? Yeah, I definitely have started achieving that. You
1: know, I, I will say like, had I not, again, cleared all that space, I wouldn't have had space to, you know, meet my partner this year. And I, you know, I moved to Brazil to be with him. There's like so many things that happened. And, you know, I often tell Chris, I'm like, I just wouldn't have had space like or time for that. And so, you know, for me to get to be in, you know, this place and do the things that I love and have been able to kind of go there in the middle of a pandemic and still be able to work. And I would joke with my friends, they're like, oh, you're living on an island in Brazil. I'm like, I am working more than when I was back in the U.S., you know? And so I think that idea of work-life harmony um, is even more, um, you know, something that I am getting to live right now. But I think the biggest challenge for all of us becomes, you know, how do we protect our work-life harmony? You know, Mm -hmm. That, that I think it becomes, you know, What opportunity do you say yes to? What do you make space for? Because anything can kind of throw that off balance. And so I think now the challenge is just what's the right thing, you know, what's additive?
0: Well, it will be so exciting to continue following you, Tina Wells. Thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing this journey. And really, again, I know that it would have been awesome to speak two years ago, but I feel like what you have learned and what you have achieved in the last two years made this conversation all the richer. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Varnesh. It's been great. To learn more about Tina, check out tinawells.com. And of course, if you're in Target, like I am weekly, check out Z-Files and Mackenzie Blue, her books, and soon probably merchandise. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. I hope your day is so money.